your Bibles tonight, Revelation chapter 3, we'll look at the first six verses, and this fifth of the seven churches uh, that get a message from the Lord in Asia Minor. The Bible says in Revelation 3 and verse number 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." And we come to this church, the church in Sardis. Now, I want to make a disclaimer statement here that I think about occasionally as I'm preaching through these uh, churches. Uh, I don't feel like that Chilhowee Baptist Church is succeeding in every area. I don't feel like when I preach this passage of Scripture that I sure am telling all those other churches how they ought to be and, and how good we are. I, I really think that we're attempting and trying to please the Lord in every area, but I'm also very aware that just like in our personal Christian lives, there's room for improvement. In the Chilhowee Baptist Church, we must always remember that we are not perfect, that we're not the only people on the planet that's right. Now that's pride, and pride comes before a fall. But we should take note, and we should praise the Lord when he gives us a little amen and a thank you for doing the right thing. We should rejoice in the fact that on, in a lot of ways we're getting it right, and we should always be willing to acknowledge if we're getting it wrong. And I'm encouraged by this passage of Scripture. I'm encouraged by these churches. And I want to be the kind of church that pleases the Lord, honors Him. There's so much to learn from the churches in the first, in the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation. The church at Sardis, I'll have to confess to you, is one that scares me worse than any of them that I've studied so far. And I think you may see why. It is a possibility to be like the church at Sardis and not even realize it. The Bible says in verse number 1, Under the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Here's the situation that's going on in the church at Sardis. They had a name. They had a reputation that they were alive, living, but the bottom line truth is God that looks on the heart and understands what's going on in the shadows, God said, you've got a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Two different times as I was preparing and looking and uh, getting help from other folks who've preached this and know more than I do from commentaries and one, from one sermon, uh, two different times folks mentioned uh, the stars and how stars are 
light years away. That's a fascinating thing to think about and how you wrap your brain around it. Uh, Andy Blavis and I recently had a conversation about, about measuring light years. It's quite fascinating. I don't understand everything I know about it. As a matter of fact, I don't know much about it, so I'm in trouble. Uh, but light years, the, the way a light year works is a light year is a distance that takes uh, light to travel over the course of a year. There's a star that's been seen with a telescope uh, that is like 30 light years away. Now, you wrap your brain around that just a minute. It takes light 30 years to get from that star to where we see it in a telescope and to where we, we get a glimmer of it in our eyes. I'm going to stop the science lesson and, lesson and just get to the application here. The point is, it is possible that we can be looking on the light from the star that's 30 light years away, and it could have been dead and burnt out for the last 10 years. We just don't recognize it yet. And the thing that God's people need to be aware of is that we need to be alive, 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 and not a dead church. Some people have the idea that a dead church is a church that's not full of entertainment or not full of life. I'm just going to tell you something. There's a lot of dead churches where you can go in there and you'll have an emotional roller coaster. Living in dead churches is not determined by the emotional exhilaration that comes from a so-called worship service. When we look at this passage of Scripture, the Bible gives some insight and helps us to see a dead church. What's a dead, what does a dead church mean to God? There's a couple of places in the New Testament. The Bible talks about folks who are lost, folks who have never been saved. The Bible says that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. And I think there's lots of signs and evidences that will show up in regards to whether or not a church is alive or dead. But the most important thing that we need to notice and we need to pay attention to is that it is very possible that a church has the appearance of being alive but is dead because the majority of its members, attenders, people, are lost. Are lost. We live in a moment that church is characterized by a worship style. We live in a moment where church is characterized by affiliation to a denomination. We live in an era where church is, is the emphasis and the consideration of a church or when you're going to pick a church is, is it contemporary? Is it traditional? Is it southern? Is it northern? Is it redneck? Is it proper? I mean, people come with all kinds of this, some things that drive me crazy. I could spend all kinds of time talking about this because you have no idea how many folks I've talked to uh, who visit our church and then they don't come back or they've been here for a while and then they leave. And, and here's the conversation I have. One time I'll go and I'll talk to somebody and i say, hey, we've missed seeing you at church. Well, we've decided to go to another church. I said, well, that's fine. The Lord, if he leads you to another church, that's fine. Uh, but maybe you could help me. Tell me something that kind of led you to another church. Well, your church is just way too big. And I'm like, I understand that, but it's not very big. And uh, anyway, that conversation comes and goes. Then I'll go to somebody else, uh, and I'll talk to somebody, and I'll be like, you know, well, you know, what led you to go to another church? <laughs> your church is just so small. Your church is too quiet. I've had that. Your church is too loud. I've had that. Your church is too conservative. And I've had that. 
Your church is too liberal. And I've had that. But you know the bottom line is, what matters to the Lord in a church is whether the church is full of saved people. The church of Jesus Christ, the church, Chilhire Baptist Church, should be a church that is led, attended, supported by saved people. I know that sounds silly, but what happened in the church at Sardis was the church at Sardis started right. There was folks came through preaching the gospel because there was a group of people, see at the end of the message, there was a group of people who had gotten saved for their trust in Jesus. But what had happened in Sardis, the church at Sardis had become complacent to the gospel message that people are dead in their trespasses and sins and are going to hell without Jesus. The gospel message and the need and the importance of repenting of sin and turning to Jesus and being born again, washed in the blood, had become something that was secondary to the ministry that they had emphasized at the church of Sardis. Let me just tell you something. If you're not saved, you're going to go to hell. If you're not saved, your sin condemns you. If you've not come to the place where you know that the Holy Spirit of God has proven and showed you that you're a sinner and you've humbled yourself and repented of your sin and trusted Jesus by faith as your Savior and there's been a change and as the Bible says in John 3, you've been born again. If you've not been born again, folks, you cannot be a Christian. And it's a sad thing to know and note that there's a de-emphasis on people being born again, saved, becoming Christians. Old things pass away. All things become new. The dead give be giving life and life eternal. And may the Lord help us not to fall into that trap. It's easy to become good at church. It's easy to come to get, get to the place where you have a good worship service. You have a good music. You have entertaining preaching. You have whatever it is. The bottom line is the church is a group of people who've repented of their sin and put their trust in Christ and Christ only. And the message to the church at Sardis was, you have a name that you're alive. Everybody around you, man, alive. They got a lot going on in that church. They're on fire. But the Lord looked at the church and said, you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. May the Lord help us not to fall on that trap. The first thing I want to bring to your attention, number one, is their rebuke. I kind of made the introduction a little longer than I anticipated. But I want to share with you a few things from verse number one. The Bible says, Under the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Now, this is a fascinating thing to think about. He that hath the seven spirits of God. Now, wrap your mind around that. About the time you think you may have a grasp on the Trinity, the Bible says that, the, that God has seven spirits. How do, you, how do you wrap your mind around that? It's not as complicated as you may want it to be. How many of you ever looked at something and you made it way more complicated than it needed to be? Uh, so the Bible says that uh, he that hath the seven spirits of God. I want you to keep your finger right there in Revelation 3 and turn over to Isaiah 11. I think you'll be so happy that you saw this. I try not to run you all over the place, but I do want you to see this. and I want you to, to see it with me. It'll help you understand the spirit of God having seven, I mean, having, God having seven spirits. The Bible says in Isaiah 11 in verse number 2, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. What do you see there? The spirit of the Lord number is one. The spirit of wisdom is two. The spirit of understanding is three. The spirit of counsel is four. The spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Seven spirits. Have you ever had a happy spirit and a not-so-happy spirit? You've had multiple spirits. Sometimes you've had multiple spirits in the same minute. The sweet news about God is His seven spirits are represented in these things, these elements, and the fact that He is Lord, that He is wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear. And the bottom line is when you see the number seven through the book of Revelation, we're going to understand that God is complete and perfect. And God is complete and perfect. And he has made it possible that you can be saved, that the church can be saved, that folks can hear and understand the gospel message and be saved. The longer I'm in gospel ministry, the more confounding in my spirit it is the process of leading somebody to the Lord. Now, I don't want you to stop trying. I want you to keep trying. I want you to keep preaching the gospel. I want you to keep leading people to Christ. And if someone says, can you lead somebody to Jesus? And you've you've done it before or you have an understanding. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid to point somebody, to lead somebody to Christ. But I'm just going to tell you something. The longer I've been in Christian ministry, the, the more I come to that moment of leading somebody to Jesus with fear and trembling. Because I know that Cody Sturgill can't save anybody. And when I point somebody to the truth of the gospel message, I know that I need the Holy Ghost, that I need the Holy Spirit. And when I read that, the, that God who wrote this message has seven spirits, he's complete and perfect, I'm comforted to know that God is completely capable to help us see folks saved and come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is able to save you to the uttermost if you're here today and you've never been saved. The problem with the church at Sardis was they never had truly been born again. They'd heard the messages. They looked back to an experience at some time in their life where they prayed some type of prayer. But the actual change that happens when someone's born again, saved, had not happened in the hearts of the people of Sardis. And so therefore they had a form of godliness denying the power thereof. That's the church at Sardis. And God says, we've got a big problem. You've got a reputation in your life. You're working, serving, working, serving, doing, doing, doing. But you're dead. Your rank and file and leadership is lost. The rebuke is you have a name of your life. Livest but are dead. That's the rebuke. Number two, the remedy. When you come to a situation like that where you're lost or A church has neglected to preach the salvation message that's so plain in the New Testament. What do you do? The Bible says in verse number 2, be watchful. Be watchful. Look, I want to encourage you. If you've lost an emphasis on the importance of people being saved... People being born again. If you've lost an emphasis in your heart on the importance of salvation in the lives of lost people, be watchful. Be watchful. Now, now you think that it would be ludicrous to think that you'd begin to have church without consideration of the lost being saved. 
But I want you to know something. It can happen right here. People get complacent sitting in the pews of churches and neglect the gospel message. Be watchful. Pay attention. In your own Christian life, have you lost the yearning in your soul for the loss to be saved? In your own Christian loss, in your own Christian life, have you lost the urgency to tell the lost that they need to be saved? In your own Christian life, have you come to the place where you seemingly have forgotten the penalty of sin is death and hell forever? Be watchful. Pay attention. The Bible says in verse number two, be watchful, the remedy, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain. What do we do? I know what we do. We start a new church. We throw out everything, do it all. No, you strengthen the things that remain. Look, what Christian people need to do is they need to dig in and they need to have revival in their hearts and they need to strengthen the things which remain. You know what we need to do? We need to double down on preaching the gospel. We need to ask the Lord to give us souls. We need to ask God to help us. The church at Sardis, God said, what you need to do is you need to be watchful. See if that's you. Then you need to strengthen the things which remain. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He said, look, it's, it's coming it's coming quickly. It's time to act. But when do we need to ask God to revive our hearts? When we have revival in November? No. You need to ask God to revive your heart right now. Right now. Don't put it off any longer. Revive, ask God to revive your heart. Strengthen things that remain, that, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. That little phrase is kind of fascinating. I've not found thy works perfect before God. What's it mean? The Lord says what you're doing is incomplete. Perfect. That word perfect means incomplete. What you're doing is incomplete. And, and look at this. This is such a great picture of what we find the emphasis of so many churches and could become the emphasis of our church in just a moment. We do something to help the poor. We pay a water bill. We pay a light bill. We provide food. We support a food pantry. We do a building project. We help with medical things. And those are all good and fine. But let me just tell you something. That is an incomplete gospel ministry. You see, we do what we do with an emphasis on seeing the lost come to faith in Christ. I mean, if we're going to help people with something, we need to help them. We'll help them with stuff so we have an audience long enough to tell them about the gospel and tell them about Jesus and tell them how they can be saved. And I'll just be honest with you, I'm convicted that we need to be a little more thorough in the way we do benevolence in our church, at the Chilean Baptist Church, led by none other than Cody Sturgill himself in evangelizing the people we help. It's important. Let me just tell you something. There's a lot of church work that's done to the benevolence, the benefit of the poor, the lost, the hurting. But in God's eyes, it's not perfect. It's not complete. You know why? Because there's not an emphasis on the gospel. Do you know what a lot of churches are doing? They're making the world a better place from which to go to hell. And if you've done that, what good have you done? None. The church at Sardis, God said to them, Your work's not perfect. Your work's not complete. 
And God's not looking for us to do everything perfect all the time. But he is looking for us to do complete works. That means when you have an outing, an activity, there's an emphasis on the gospel. When you do something in the community, there's an emphasis on the gospel. The fact that all men are sinners. Sin must be paid for. Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross of Calvary. A person must personally pray and receive Jesus Christ by faith as Savior. The gospel must be shared. That's where the church at Sardis made a terrible mistake. The Bible says in verse number 3, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. What are we to do? We need to remember, hey, look. Man, I remember when I fell under conviction of the Holy Spirit. How many of you remember being convicted of your sin and getting saved? How many of you remember that? Would you remember, raise your hand. I remember falling under conviction of sin and getting saved. Now, don't forget. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast. Look, hold fast to the fact that people need to be saved. If you're not careful before you know it, you'll know that you're saved by grace through faith and you'll begin to excuse away why other people don't have to do it and I don't have to get saved. don't have to get saved like you did. Now look, folks don't have to get saved like I did in a little tiny house on shag carpet on Old Stage Road when they were eight years old. But people do have to get saved like I did when they realize they're sinners and they realize that Jesus Christ is the only person that can forgive their sins and save their souls. And they do have to get saved like I do when they call on the Lord with their mouth and ask Jesus to forgive their sins and be their Savior. They do have to get saved like me in that instance. And so I'm called on by God to hold fast. Remember what's happened. Remember how God helped me. Look what it says next. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Now, this is a message to save people here. You need to repent of the fact that you've lost your zeal for the gospel and seeing people saved. You need to repent of that. You need to repent. You need to just acknowledge it. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Repent. I heard the story. I love it. Two boys, brothers, notoriously rambunctious. For some crazy reason, their parents decided that they needed to be gone for the evening and left the boys at home by themselves, threatening them with their lives. The parents come home from their evening out, and when they walk in the door, it's eerily quiet in the house. They walk into the dining room, and mother's prized vase is in pieces on the dining room table. Right in front of the vase is a note. Dear Dad and Mom, we got carried away and broke your vase. We're very sorry. We put ourselves to bed without supper early. Signed, Sam and Johnny. Do you know what that is? Repentance. That's repentance. You acknowledge you did it wrong and you go ahead and change the course. Accept your punishment. Be okay with it. You know what God wants you to do? God doesn't want you to beat yourself up because you've kind of lost your zeal for the lost. God wants you to say, hey, look, I'm going to be different. And God help us as the, like the church at Sardis. To wake up 
And remember, be watchful. Finally, number three, quickly, the remnant. Now, here's an encouraging message to the saved people in Sardis. Something I think is a treasure at the Chubb Baptist Church. I really believe with all my heart that there is a massive group of the people at the Chubb Baptist Church who are genuinely born again. They love Jesus. They love souls. They want to please the Lord. I think that's so precious. And we should praise God all the time that we have the opportunity to be part of a church family that is full of saved people that want to please the Lord because the fellowship of God's people is awesome. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Hallelujah. But when we look at the church at Sardis, I want you to remember something. And I want you to, instead of criticizing churches with different stripes than us, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the saved folks that have somehow ended up in a church like the church at Sardis, where there's just a few. I want you to see what the Bible says here. It's amazing uh, how the Scripture refers in verse 4. Thou hast a few names... Even in Sardis. Can you imagine this? So here's what the Holy Spirit, here's what God says. He says, thou hast a few names even in Sardis. He says, there's even, believe it or not, there's even a few saved people in the church at Sardis. There's even a few born again people in the church at Sardis. I mean, even in Sardis, thou hast a few names. Few people, the Bible says, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white. For they're worthy. What makes a man worthy before God? Being born again, washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's some saved people, the remnant in the church at Sardis. Now we need to be praying for these folks, these few folks that are left in these churches that are dead. And here's what the Bible says. This is an encouraging word. He that overcometh. You stick with the stuff. You, you, you stay the course. He that overcome the Bible says, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. White raiment is always a sign of cleanliness and favor of God. He shall be clothed in white raiment. And the Bible says this, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, a lot of folks want to take this passage of Scripture and say, see, look, God does blot people's name out of the book of life. When I tell you this verse, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What's that make you do? In my heart, I go, hallelujah. He will never leave me nor forsake you. It's sweet. It's positive. It's an encouraging encouragement to God's people. And to the saved people in the church at Sardis, the Lord says something encouraging. He says, listen, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. This is positive. This is good. When I hear... Lord Jesus say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I don't go, aha, see, he does leave people. He does forsake people. And when I read this passage of Scripture, I want to in my flesh to say, aha, see, Jesus does blot people's names out of the Lamb's book of life. See, I say it's in the Bible. No, he doesn't. It's not what it said. He says, I want to encourage you, church, save people at Sardis. It don't matter what anybody says. I won't blot your name out of the book of life. That'll help you. I won't, I won't blot your name out. Be encouraged. I'm not going to blot your name out of the book of life. Be careful when you try to imply the negative to something that's positive. It's like one time I told Ruth, I said, you look so beautiful today. And she said, but I didn't look good yesterday. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. So what you're saying is, no. 
Let me tell you what God's saying to the the saved people at Sardis. He said, I'm not going to blot your name out of the book of life. And you know what the people at Sardis got this message did? They said, hallelujah, praise Jesus. It's a rough time. We know that we're surrounded by people who aren't saved. Hallelujah. You're not going to blot our name out of the book of life. We'll just keep serving. It's hard. We don't have fellowship with other saved people. But we're going to keep on trusting Jesus. We're going to keep on living for the glory of God. God's called us. He said, I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Verse number 5. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To the remnant of the church at Sardis, God says, you stay faithful and I'll bless you. Isn't that sweet to know? This is an interesting little take on the church at Sardis. Uh, there's folks who study history, and I'm not going to give you very many details, but I thought this was an interesting side note. There's evidence that in the hundreds of years beyond the writing of the book of Revelation, that God sent great revival to the church at Sardis. There's testimony of people being saved and people's lives being changed. And a pastor preached the word. Perhaps the pastor the church of Sardis wrote one of the very first ever commentaries on the book of Romans. Now that's quite fascinating to me. And if you want to study deeper, I can point you to some specific names. But it's believed that the pastor of the church at Sardis wrote the first commentary on the book of Romans. And I'm just going to tell you something. The book of Romans is rich in the message of salvation. And I think there's hope. I think there was a group of people who said, we're just going to hold fast. We're going to live for the glory of God. And God bless the remnant. And may God help us. May we never lose the emphasis that God has called the church to emphasize. He says, you have a name, a testimony, a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. A dead church is a church that is rank with lost people. If you're here, you make sure you're saved. If you've never asked the Lord Jesus to forgive your sins and be your Savior, you need to get saved. If you have serious doubts about your salvation, you need to get that settled. You don't have to carry that around all the time. God did not design the Christian life to be rich with doubt. You can be sure that you're saved. And Who's to say that if you're here and you've been in church for ages and ages and you've never been saved, who's to say that God might not use you Help others come to faith in Christ. I'll never forget it. There was a lady in our church. Oh, she got so mad at me. Oh, she was so mad at me. I didn't, for about three weeks in a row, and I don't remember why, but for about three weeks in a row, I wasn't able to go from the pulpit at the end of the Sunday morning service to the back lobby and greet people. It made her so mad. I noticed her gone. I called her. I said, hey, look, I've been missing you. Where are you? She said, well, we're trying other churches. I said, oh, no, I'm so sorry. What's wrong? Are you sure you want me to tell you? I said, yeah, I need you to tell me. Maybe you can help me. We thought when you came to be our pastor, you are going to be a great pastor. You've proved us wrong. Your wife's wonderful. But you've proved us wrong. That's what she said. Don't shake your head at me. I'm just messing with you. 
unless you want to. Uh, she said, I said, well, tell me what's wrong. She said, for the last three Sundays, you've not greeted us. And the first thought that came to my mind that was, well, if you weren't the last people to come in the church and the first people to leave, and you sat on the back far left corner, no offense back there, <laughs> perhaps, I, but the Lord spoke my spirit and said, boy, you better be humble about this. I said, I'm sorry. If you'd come back and give me another chance, I'll try to do better. We ended our conversation. They came back to church. I went out of my way to greet them. More importantly than that, the Holy Spirit began to deal in this woman's heart. He had already started. That's one of the reasons why she was so upset. The Holy Spirit began to deal with this woman's heart. She called me one day right in the middle of the afternoon. She was crying. I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? She says, i got to get saved. i got to get saved. I've been teaching Sunday school for years. I've been in that church for years. i got to get saved. I said, well, you want me to come to your house? She said, I'm on my way to your office right now. And she came in my office. I led her to Jesus. She got saved. I saw her. She doesn't mind me telling the story. I saw her when I preached homecoming at Bowling Springs Baptist Church just a few weeks ago. God changed her life. You see, it's not about how long you've been here. It's not about how often you attend the services. It's not about your historical connection to some local body of believers. It's not because you're Baptist. If you're not saved, if you're not saved, you're going to go to hell when you die. And it's going to be hell until you die because if you try to live this life without the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you are in a heap of trouble. We learned something from the church that had the name that they were alive but were dead. Let's pray.